Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, fired for singing the national anthem, not woke enough for the military, and tased for enjoying a drink without a mask. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello, welcome to The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. If you want to stand up and sing O Canada, apparently if you want to do it for the Canucks anyway, the Vancouver Canucks, you have to be in full support of lockdowns and full support of masks, and there is no deviation from the official narrative. That's pretty much the only takeaway I can extract from the unceremonious firing of former Canucks anthem singer Mark Donnelly for the offense of planning to sing O Canada at a freedom rally in Vancouver on the weekend. Now, I'm not a big sports fan, and I've said in the past that there are very few cases and stories and news happenings that tend to bring me into the sports realm, but this is one of them. So if you're longing for sports content every time you watch or listen to The Andrew Lawton Show, uh, this one will have nothing to do with hockey, but it's peripherally connected to the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, you have to just take what you get if that's what uh, what you're interested in. But Mark Donnelly was planning to sing O Canada at this freedom rally, and the Vancouver Sun wrote about it, the paper of record in Vancouver. And then the owner of the Canucks, this Vancouver billionaire, Francesco Aquilini, or Aquilini, saw the article, tweeted it out, and the article headline was Canucks anthem singer Mark Donnelly to perform at anti-masker rally. Uh, Francesco said, hey, Vancouver Sun, changed the headline to former Canucks anthem singer, and then, of course, appended the where a mask hashtag. Now, I don't know the nature of the employment relationship between Donnelly and the Canucks. I don't know if he was a contractor or whatever. It doesn't matter. But what Donnelly has said is that he has so far not heard from anyone, from Francesco or anyone else in the Canucks organization, that he's apparently been terminated or that his services are no longer required. All he's seen is that tweet. So we're talking about a a particularly callous way of dismissing someone by just tweeting publicly in an effort to score these, uh, you know, anti-lockdown or pro-lockdown virtue signaling points that someone is no longer part of your organization. So that in and of itself is a bit dangerous. And then if you look at what has actually happened here, he didn't cower to the mob. He didn't bow down. He didn't grovel for his job. He carried on. He went back, and you know what? He actually gave a, a speech instead, as, or as well as singing the national anthem. Uh, Donnelly had uh, pointed out uh, what was originally sold as a 15-day hunkering down sprint for the common good has turned into a 10-month marathon from hell, where the finish line is constantly being moved further into the distance. He further said, as someone known for singing our great national anthem, I'm standing up against what I feel is tyranny, plain and simple. And it sounds like the crowd quite liked what he had to say. And certainly the guy has been singing for the Canucks for almost two decades, so we know he's got a good voice. But here's the thing. I would want to believe, and I know this is not where we are as a society, but I would want to believe that we aren't going to just continue to shrink the bounds of discourse further on more issues, and including lockdown and COVID stuff, where you are no longer allowed to have a a different opinion. Now, we know this is happening. We look at how doctors that have criticized the mainstream narrative have been pilloried. We look at how media officials, politicians, all of these things. But now, even you, if you can be, and I, I don't want to diminish Donnelly's role, but even if you can be, you know, the lowly national anthem singer, you are not allowed to have an opinion if it deviates from the so-called norm. 
And this is the sort of stuff we've seen with various religious beliefs, with social views, with, you know, if you're in academia, pretty much any conservative position. But now this is expanding. And it is political correctness, but I, I don't want to downplay it. I mean, this is a, a very significant thing. What's happening when a guy gets fired in this way and people cheer for it, this is the thing. People were cheering on Francesco Accolini's tweet saying, you know, yes, he's taken a stand or whatever. All of a sudden, like the billionaire hockey team owner is actually the hero of the story and not the villain. And typically in, in this day and age, billionaires are the villains, not the heroes of the story. So that's how this culture war has ingrained itself in this. But what's happening when this when this occurs is it shrinks the bounds of acceptable discourse. So all of a sudden, if you're someone else who works for the Canucks, that you might have agreed with Donnelly, or maybe you don't, but you think, ah, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of this lockdown stuff. Well, you can't say that now because you're worried that if you say it, you're going to get fired as well. And now no one sees the anyone on the Canucks organization speaking up. So that is now a, a monolithic organization when it comes to this issue. And then other people in other jobs and other sectors and other parts of the country go through the same thing. They say, well, I, I didn't like how that guy got fired for, you know, being at a, an anti-lockdown rally. I maybe I don't know. My company is, uh, you know, they do some work with the Canucks. Maybe they're going to get rid of me too. And eventually what you've done is you've created this entirely artificial realm. And I'll tell you why it's artificial in a moment, but this entirely artificial realm where people are going against what they believe, what they think, what they might naturally say, because they're scared of the consequences by people in positions of power. And why I say it's artificial is because the logical conclusion of this is that 100% of people represented in civil society and media and leadership and politics and corporate positions, 100% of them will think the same thing or will speak as though they think the same thing. But we know that the broader population is not that homogenous. I don't know what the numbers are. I've seen polls that have suggest major groups of people oppose lockdown. You don't want to you know, put too much stock in polls, but I know that people think different things. When you look at thousands and thousands of people showing up at anti-lockdown rallies, and remember, the ones who go to rallies are only the most fervent. They're only the most dedicated to this. There are a lot of people across the political spectrum that are saying, ah, you know, I'm not sure lockdown's the way to do this. And, and whenever we see people like Brian Pallister, who we spent a lot of time talking about on the show earlier or last week, whenever we see people like Brian Pallister that are coming out and, and making enforcement the priority, when we see Mark Donnelly from the Canucks fired, this only forces more and more people, or at the least coaxes them, into resisting this because, well, quietly, quietly, because they see this happening and are like, eh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I think that might be going a little too far. And, you know, yeah, I think COVID's real, but, uh, you know, I, I don't quite think that we need to shut everyone down, lock everyone down, fire them, find them, do that. And, and people that are more moderate on this actually start to be feeling like they are fringe. Because that is the narrative that the status quo, the intelligentsia, that's the narrative that is being set out, is that if you believe anything in the line of what the anti-lockdown people believe, well, you're just fringe, you're just a radical right-winger. And let me tell you, a lot of the people that I know who are opposed to the lockdowns, opposed to masks, yeah, they're people on the right, but I'm also seeing a ton of people on the left or people who are completely apolitical that are joining this fight. And this is an interesting thing because a lot of the people that own small businesses are, are people that don't have time for politics. They aren't interested. Maybe they're liberals, maybe they're conservatives, but they're not culture warriors. 
A lot of people that own businesses are, are not in the trenches on the free speech fights like a lot of us and certainly like I am. So they're not in this. They don't know there is this cultural dynamic happening that they're now seeing. And take, for example, the story that we just published on True North today. A woman in Charlottetown, PEI, Angie Labelt, who wanted to go and buy some stuff at a thrift store. She wanted to go into a, a mission thrift store, and she wasn't allowed because she wasn't wearing a mask. Now, Charlottetown has a minimal, minimal number of cases because Atlantic Canada has basically been walled off. And, and that's why mask mandates came fairly later on in PEI. I think it was November 20th or something. But this woman wanted to go to a thrift store. She cannot wear a mask. She has a, a medical exemption. It is documented, but she has a medical exemption that precludes her from wearing a mask. She told them this at the store, which, by the way, did not look like it was all that full in, in a video that uh, was reviewed by me and, and by a True North. So what happens is... She is denied, eventually removed by police. Uh, police were called to the property and they escorted her off. And at that point, it's a trespassing issue. Police aren't there to litigate the mask law. Police are there because, you know, the business says we don't want her there. It's their prerogative. If you have a grievance with the business, you have to take it up later. So she's filing a human rights complaint saying that it's denying her right as an individual with a, a condition that precludes her from wearing a mask to go shopping. And what was interesting is the PEI government's website specifically says this, sometimes reasons are not visible to others, speaking about uh, reasons for exemptions. Islanders and businesses are encouraged to be trusting and kind and show compassion and understanding in these cases. Well, there was no understanding. There was no understanding, but the whole point is, is that we have now made it so that people who don't go along with aspects of this are viewed as pariahs, are completely otherized which is a, a dangerous path to chart for a society that is supposed to respect each other's differences. And we move further and further to that because what happens is you start to get to a point where your views are disqualifying. Your views disqualify you from existing in civil society. This is not related to lockdown, but it's the same dynamic. And Lindsay Shepard, my colleague at True North, actually broke this story at TNC.News. Mark Hecht, who is a Mount Royal University geography professor, professor, was denied a posting in the military reserves, denied an opportunity to serve his country because of an op-ed he wrote criticizing diversity in 2019. Now, he wrote an op-ed uh, in the Vancouver Sun. A lot of our stories are Vancouver today, so we've uh, been focusing too much on Ontario. We're giving the, the West Coast some love. Uh, Ethnic diversity harms a country's social trust, economic well-being, uh, argues Professor. And this is, I think, a, a very valid piece. Lots of people criticized him, especially in the academic world. They didn't like that he was pointing to, you know, this example, that example. It doesn't matter. Even journalists, mainstream media journalists, were criticizing him. But you fast forward to now... And Hecht had actually been trying to go through the recruitment process to join the Naval Reserves, the Canadian Armed Forces Naval Reserves. He had completed four-fifths of the recruitment process, met with a recruiter, passed his aptitude and fitness test, and completed his medical examination. The last task on Hecht's checklist was a written exam specific to the public affairs officer position, which he was encouraged to pursue by a Canadian Armed Forces recruiter. And then in October, he got a letter that said, in light of an article that you published in 2019, it was deemed that the views you expressed do not reflect the Canadian Armed Forces policy on discrimination, harassment, and professional conduct. 
So an op-ed that was entirely valid, had some great ideas, was published by a, a mainstream media newspaper, was disqualifying to serve in the country's naval reserves. Now, again, I'm always of the mindset that when it comes to private institutions, people have a right to decide who they want to associate with and who they don't, and then people have a right to push back. With the military, standards are important, I agree. With the Canadian Armed Forces, it's important to have standards on any number of things. But the fact that this is the hill that they want to make him die on, this is the hill they want to kill him on, is actually quite dangerous. And now it means that the military is moving more and more into a place where the Overton window, as, as they call it, is not just shifting, but also narrowing and narrowing. So we are at a point in time where if you take a stand against diversity, you are no longer suitable to serve your country in this way. So what are the implications of that when other people who might want to serve look up and say, oh, well, I guess, I, I guess my thoughts aren't welcome. Well, all of a sudden, you start closing off people that exist in Canada, are a part of this country, have something to offer this country. And I'm not just talking about military service. This is whether you're singing the national anthem, whether you want to join the Naval Reserves as a public affairs officer, you want to be a professor, you want to be a journalist, you want to be in politics. It doesn't matter. The same things are happening. And this is why discourse is so important. And this is why political correctness is such an important fight. Because it allows people to win the argument, not by having the better argument, but by just ensuring that debate never happens. By ensuring that one side is not allowed to show up to debate. And this is what's happening with lockdown stuff. It's what's happening clearly with the diversity, uh, the, the diversity cult in academia. And it's happening in many other areas. And a lot of these stories kind of paused when the pandemic went on because everyone was so focused on COVID-19. But this just proves that uh, nothing has really changed in this regard. So I'm sorry, I, my heart goes out to Hecht. He wanted to serve, he wanted to step up, and now he can't because he took a position that uh, a lot of people will try to make him think is fringe, but I know is shared with a huge number of Canadians, which is why this divide between the intelligentsia's positions and ordinary people's thoughts is such an important one to note and to understand the width of. We'll be back in just a couple of moments with more of The Andrew Lawton Show. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back to The Andrew Lawton Show. This is True North and Canada's most irreverent talk show. You know, we've talked on the past about the non-essential, essential divide and all of these things that you are not allowed to do because they're non-essential and the things that you can do, which seems to be a smaller and smaller grouping of things because they're essential. Well, in Toronto, sex stores are allowed to have in-store shopping. They are declared essential because they are safety supply stores. So uh, take from that what you will. Uh, multiple small businesses are forced to close, but sex shops can have in-person shopping because on, under Ontario's regulation they are actually safety supplies so just as if they were selling you know uh, safety goggles and masks and steel-toed boots your uh, you know ball gags and anal beads which I believe are the first time such devices have been named on the show I hope my editor doesn't put in graphics for your sake uh, these things are essential items but uh, if you're selling a sweater in Manitoba well that's non-essential so uh, this is again proof that when governments start drawing lines the lines are always going to be completely nonsensical and speaking of nonsense, this is a, a story from Alberta where a pediatrician had put forward what he thought was a, a really good idea for how to tell kids about what's happening at Christmas. And that was to uh, get parents to basically give Santa and the elves COVID 
and get their kids off their backs about wanting to go see Santa, Santa at the mall. Now, this has been deleted. So I, I will say he, he perhaps saw the, saw the light and, and deleted this. But nevertheless, I have to point this out. The letter that he recommended parents give to their kids, and he gave a template for them. Dear Joey, I received your Christmas list and the elves have been working hard to prepare everything, gift wrap your presents and have it ready for me to deliver at Christmas. I'm sure you are aware of this COVID virus that has been affecting the entire world, likely your country, maybe your town and even classroom. If you're a kid and you get this letter from Santa, you already just hate the holidays. Now, Joey, I have to share something very important and something very special with you. COVID has hit the North Pole, too. The elves and I are sick, and we are in isolation now. Luckily, the reindeer are okay. Oh, great, some good news. And we are still able to have your Christmas presents delivered, but I won't be at the mall this year. You won't be able to sit on my lap, but I promise you next year I'll be back, and I'll be sure to give you an extra hug, a hug Santa owes you for the one you're missing this year. And Joey, you can help Santa too. Can you please tell your mommy and daddy and all your friends that we should all stay safe, wear a mask, and celebrate Christmas with their household only? Would you do that for me, Joey? Much love, and until next year, Santa. I just... I got nothing. I got nothing. So now the way that we are allaying children's fears about COVID-19 is by infecting Santa. We are creating a North Pole outbreak. And that's what we're doing to help kids. That's what we're doing to like make it easier for them to like, like give it. And this is the doctor. This is from a doctor for crying out loud. So like, I don't know if this is what's passing for medical advice. And when I kind of push back against this on Twitter, I said, I'm no doctor, but I don't think this is the way we're going to comfort kids. Now, as I said, he did delete it. I don't know if that was just because of backlash or what, but his preamble to this, Dr. Raphael Sharon, was that as a pediatrician, I am able to make special connections for children. Uh, that is not a special connection for children. And if someone tries to, if I were to have children, uh, use that as a way to connect with them, I'd be like, give me a, give me a freaking break. So this is just in insane. And this is like when we would see those uh, videos uh, from, I think it was like the UN or WHO or WTO or something. I don't know what it was. One of those global bodies that did the UN that was basically like Santa dying. It was like the North Pole is melted and Santa's like sweating and telling kids they have to uh, get climate change better. This is that, that sort of thing. It's like once you start politicizing Santa, you are actually kind of just ruining the magic that kids experience and kids embrace when it comes to this holiday by making it about your own uh, agenda and your own ulterior motives. Look, parents, if they don't want to bring their kids to the mall, I talked a couple of weeks ago about how I've seen some mall Santa photos and I probably just wouldn't do it. It just, it's, it's not the same, but parents don't have to infect Santa with COVID to make that point. So this is where I, I think we are now, but again, everything's wacky. Look, Randy Hillier was uh, last week or two weeks ago, ticketed for organizing a protest. Uh, this week, his sons have been involved in police altercations over mask stuff. This is what Randy Hillier had first said. OPP tasered his son in the back in Perth, Ontario, which is out in his area in Eastern Ontario. The crime, my son's friend went to the bar to order a beer, wasn't wearing a mask. The owner of the Arrow Pub called the cops. My son stood up, explained their friend is exempt from mask wearing. They're both in jail. Now, a lot of people have suggested that, you know, there's probably something missing from the story here. Uh, CBC did a bit of a longer write-up and, and pointed to a letter that Randy Hillier wrote to the OPP, which gave some uh, more details about this. 
But basically what ended up happening was the uh, they were with someone who was a little bit unruly. They tried to de-escalate. They tried to de-escalate with police and then ended up uh, with police escalating this, it appears. And again, I'm all for withholding judgment. I have, as I've said, a lot of respect for individual frontline officers, but I also can't help but note there seems to be a state vendetta against the Hilliers right now, which has probably extended to his children. So the fact that there was this altercation is not all that surprising. Now, I've, I've interviewed two of Randy Hillier's kids. One of them is a veteran who actually, after serving in the Canadian military, uh, to go back to the Mark thing. I guess he hadn't written anything against uh, diversity protocols, but he actually, after leaving the Canadian military service, went over to volunteer fighting against ISIS with the Kurds in Iraq. So just a, a true patriot, a truly decent man. Uh, his brother, Russell, who's a, a teacher for crying out loud. So, I mean, the Hillier kids are, are very good stock here. And the idea that we now have a police targeting them because one of them has, or their, one of their friends has a mask exemption and isn't able to wear a mask in a bar. And, and this becomes something that gets people tased is insane. And by the way, if you read about this, the one thing that I, I find quite fascinating, the one who was tased wasn't actually charged. If you're resisting arrest to such a point, the police need to tase you, then presumably you're doing something that's going to get you arrested. So I, I find that suspect. Why was his conduct apparently so bad? This was the, uh, the, the friend, the son. Why was his conduct so bad that he was tasered but not actually charged? And that is a question that I, I would very much like to hear the answer of. So again, I, I I wasn't there. I haven't seen this. I haven't seen any video footage of this. But when the whole point of, of these incidents is supposed to be de-escalation, it doesn't sound like any de-escalation was taking place here. And listen, it's interesting that we have more and more people that are getting involved with enforcers of the law in this case, and the federal government is standing up for the right to protest overseas. This was a clip from Justin Trudeau that I find is completely baffling, but you know what, par for the course. Hi, Prime Minister, Tom Perry, CBC. Um, India today uh, called in Canada's High Commissioner to complain about remarks that you made about the farmers' protests in that country. There's warnings that uh, you've damaged relations between India and Canada. I'd like to get your response to that. Uh, Canada will always stand up for the right of peaceful, peaceful protest anywhere around the world, and we're pleased to see moves towards de-escalation de and dialogue. Anything more? I mean, are you worried about damaging relations between India and Canada? Canada will always stand up for, uh, for the right for peaceful protest and for human rights around the world. So as we know, the government has been supportive of the Sikh-led protest in India, farming protests, and that's fine. I don't know enough about it to formulate an opinion, but I do find it interesting that people like Justin Trudeau are bending over backwards to say that they'll always support the right to protest when that right is actually being denied on a daily basis in Canada, in various provinces, and that whole, oh, well, Canadians will always stand up, doesn't actually apply to Canada. And it reminds me of a lot of the press freedom issues we've seen from the government, where they want to stand up for press freedom in Congo and Botswana, but they don't want to stand up for press freedom in Ottawa or Vancouver. It's a lot easier to deal with these issues in the abstract when they're on someone else's turf. We've got to wrap things up for today. We will be back later in the week with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. I'm Andrew Lawton. Thank you. God bless and good day, Canada. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.